All right, if you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, then turn with me back, uh, back to Matthew. We we've, uh, took a break last week from Matthew, but we're back there today. I want you to be in Matthew 22. And we're going to look at verses 34 through 40. And uh, today we come to what, what I want to call, and, and you'll see it in the title as we get into it, it's a very, very, very important passage. This is what we're going to look at today is, is not a secondary issue. This is not a minor issue. This is not a, a small deal. This is a very, very big deal. And I think that, and I'm going to say this at the outset, we don't just need to hear this today. We must hear this today. And I, I want to repeat that. Everybody in here needs to hear, must hear this passage today. This is very, very important. Uh, I want you to see today the most important thing about the Christian life. And I'm going to lay this out for you today. You need to write this down. I think this will take our spiritual temperature today to see where we are. This is the most important thing about the Christian life. So let's stand together, and I want to read this passage to you, starting in verse 34, and you'll see what the most important thing is. And we need to apply this. We need to have this in our lives. You need to check yourself today. This is the most important thing. There are other things that are important. I get that. But this is the most important thing about the Christian life. Starting there in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 22, it says, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, and here's the, here's the question, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Or he could be saying, what is the most important thing for us to do? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. This is the most important thing. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we see here in front of us today the most important thing in the Christian life. So I want to pray, and then we'll study this passage, and, and I want you to, to, to hear this today. I want you to be on the, the edges of your seats. You need, you need this today. I need this today. Our church needs to hear this today, the most important thing about the Christian life. Father, we thank you that your word gives us all things pertaining to life and to godliness. And we know that there's some things in your word that are not as important as others. There's some things that stand out that are of, of very much importance. So God, I, I know this is one of those places today. Jesus, with his own words, said this is the first and this is the greatest commandment. So God, help us to hear this, to understand this, but again, most importantly, help us all to apply this to our lives today, that we would, of all the things in the Christian life, we would have this. So God, help me today to present these truths from your word and to do it well. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If I was to ask you that question today, and I think you already see the answer, but if I was to ask you maybe before you even saw the answer, maybe before you got to church today, what is the single most important thing in the Christian life? What would your answer be? That's, that's a big question, and I think there would be a lot of answers. There would be a lot of different options you could take, and you could say, and I wrote, I wrote down a couple of the things that you could say. You could say it's our conduct. That the most important thing about the Christian life is how we act, how we behave, how we go out into the world and our testimony before the world. Or do we behave ourselves? Do we act right? Do we talk right? Do we think right? Do we treat each other right? You would say, okay, it's our conduct. It's how, how we live our lives. That's the most important thing. 
Other people would say it might be a, a creed. It might be what we believe. It might be our doctrine and our theology. Our statement of faith that goes on our, on our website or on our Facebook page. What we believe to be true about God. That He is, he is one God and he, he is a, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our, our creed. It's what we stand for. It's what we stand upon. Some people would say it's our creed. Other people would say it's our church. So, so you see here you have maybe it's our conduct, how we act, our, our creed, what we believe, or it's our church, where we decide to worship. The most important thing about us is where we go to church and who we fellowship with and who our pastor is and what he, what he teaches us from the pulpit. It, it's where we serve. It's where we give. It's where we learn. The most important thing in the Christian life is the church. And I could go down the list and give you all kinds of other answers. That's just the three that I wrote down. And I think all three of these are good answers. I think all of them are very important. But the question isn't what's important. The question is what is the most important. What's number one on the list? At the top of your list, the number one thing, if I, if I had to name number one, what would it be? The one thing that I, if I had to get it right, it would be this. And I think if Jesus was here today, that should be the question that we would ask him. That if Jesus did a question and answer, and it was Brandon over here and, and Jesus over here, and we had an opportunity with a mic on him, what's the most important thing, Jesus? If I, if I could do one thing in life, tell me one thing, what would it be, Jesus? I think that ought to be our question. And that's the question that, that we get to today. That's exactly what they're doing here. This is Jesus answering the most important question and giving us the most important thing about the Christian life. And as we look at, at, at what's going on here, it's the last week of Jesus' life. He's in the temple. He's teaching. I think he's probably got uh, a day or two before he goes to the cross. He, there's large crowds around him. He's very popular. And this is what's been called question day. As they keep coming up to him and, and giving him a, a question and, a, and answer time. And he's had several different groups coming to him, asking him a series of questions. I wrote the first one down in verse 15 of chapter 22. The, the, the Pharisees come to him and they ask him about the, uh, keeping the law, paying taxes. And then they come to him, I, I wrote it down again in, in verse 23, they ask him about the, the resurrection and, the, and the, the hypothetical story about who's going to be married in heaven. And then we get to the third and final one today. And all these questions are big boy questions. None of them are little softball questions that they're just kind of, you, you know, my little boy's playing Little League right now. And there's a little bitty group, tiny little group. And they, they put the ball on the tee. And then you have Coach Pitch where they just lay it up there, you know. And those kids just, they just, you know, they hit it. And if they miss it, they just keep giving them another chance, you know. And then you get up to Little League and it's, 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 it's not Coach Pitch anymore. Christian gets up there and those pitchers just whoo, you know, right by him. The hard pitches. There's a pitcher the other day threw him a curveball and he had no idea what to do with it. Knees just buckled, you know. These aren't softball questions. These aren't little coach pitch questions that they're giving Jesus. These are hard-hitting questions. These are questions that if he answered them wrong, it'd get him in big trouble. If he answered these things wrong, crowds could turn on him. If he answered these things wrong, they could put him on a cross. And that's the goal. They want to trick Jesus, tempt Jesus, make him say something to get himself in trouble and end up on the cross. And this is the third and final question. And it's not an, an easy question. I think the others have been silly. You know, who's going to be married in heaven? This one's very important. They come to him and say, what is the most important commandment of all? That if we could follow only one commandment, which one would you follow? And he gives them the answer here. And, and I'll go ahead and tell you what the answer is. It's to love. Like the old Beatles song says, all you need is love. 
Love is all you need. Jesus says the most important thing for us to do, and I think that this is a central duty. This is the the primary responsibility of Christians. The most important thing about the Christian life is that we love. So I'm going to go deeper into that. I, I want you to see the answer here. This is, and we should all check ourselves by this, not by, I, I think church is great, I think our creed is awesome, I, I think that, that our conduct is, is important, but the most important thing in the Christian life is that we love God and love others. So let's look at this today, and, and let's check ourselves. Are you doing this? Because if you don't do this, everything else doesn't matter. If you, let me say this. If you don't love God and love others, it doesn't matter how you, you act. If you don't love God and love others, you can have the greatest creed and beliefs in the world, but if it doesn't translate into loving God and loving others, it's meaningless. You can go to church every time the doors are open, but if you don't love God and love others, you're wasting your time. So the single most important thing in the Christian life is loving God and loving others. So let's look at it. And I've broken this passage down, as always, into, into three points for us to, to look at. And I want to show you the most important thing in the Christian life. Number one, I want to show you the excellent question. And I think it's an excellent question. I think it's, a, it's, it's the best question that they've been asking here. Starting in verse 34, it says that when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence... The last guy that came to Jesus, he, he silenced him. They brought him the question on the resurrection, and Jesus just, the word silence there means he muzzled him. Not that they wanted to quit talking, but they didn't have anything to say. They, they, they were without words. They were speechless. They, they, nothing could come out. They wanted to, to say something to Jesus, but it was just mumbling coming out. He put them to silence with his, his brilliance in, in his answer. And it wasn't just the, the, the last group, the Sadducees. He'd put the scribes to silence. He'd put the Herodians and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Just brilliant response after brilliant response. So look what they do. They huddle up again. It's like, it's like they all gather together and they say, this ain't working. We're, we, we, we're, we're not getting it. The, all the enemies huddled together. The scribes in there and the, the Pharisees in there and the Herodians and the Sadducees all gathered together to draw one last play to get Jesus. If you're watching a football game and they're huddled together, just a a few seconds left, they're drawing up their last play so they can win the game, you call that a a Hail Mary. Last chance. So they draw up a play. It's their Hail Mary. It's their, their last play, the last chance they get to ask Jesus a question because he turns around next week and he asks them a question. So watch what they do. They gather together in verse 34. One last question. Then one of them in verse 35, which was a lawyer, they send him out. Go on. And they send out a lawyer. And this isn't a legal lawyer. This would be a theological lawyer. This is a guy who you would, you would think that he, he sits around all day long with his nose in a book studying and, and writing and, and asking questions about the Bible, about the Old Testament. He's an expert in the, in the law. He's, he's the best of the best. I mean, this is, this is, they picked out the, the smartest guy they knew. And they threw him out there and they said, you're the last chance, man. You come out there. You come out there swinging. You bring your best question. This is, this is it. They send out the big guns. And it says he comes out to trap Jesus, to tempt Jesus, to discredit Jesus. And he says, and here's the question, Master, which is the greatest commandment? That's the question. You say, that, that, that's the question? Yeah, that, that's a big boy question right there. Because what they're doing is, which one of the laws is number one? 
And they had 613 laws. 613 laws. And it's like they've laid them out there in front of him and they're, they're saying 613. And, and, and out of these 613, there was 248 positives, which means there was 248 do this. And there was 365 negatives, which is don't do this. So there's some over here that's you, you, you need to do that. And there's some over here that you don't need to do this. And they, they laid them out in front of him and they said, out of all these 613 laws, which one is the most important? Pick one. Is it one of the, the 248 positive or one of the 365 negative? Isn't that how it always is? Those are always more negative than there is positive. Parents do this. Don't do this. There's not a whole lot of, you need to go and do this. So they had 613 laws and they were different types of laws. Get this, they had them in categories. Some were what they called light laws, which are not very important. Uh, no big deal. Then you had your heavier, weightier issues that those were really a big deal. You, you, you look at your kids and you say, that's not very important. But these are. You better do this. The lighter ones, the heavier ones, the positive ones, the negative ones. 613 laws laid out in front of Jesus. And they say, pick only one. Which one is the most important? And this is a chance to trap Jesus. Because if he says, okay, this one right here is the most important, then they're all going to say, well, you don't think the rest of them are then. You're against those. If you pick one, you're against everything else. So which one is the most important? And I think this guy might be genuine. I think he really wants to know the answer. He said, Josh, why do you think that? Because Jesus didn't rebuke him when he asked. He rebuked everybody else, telling them how silly their question was. But I think he genuinely wants to know. I think this guy needs help. I think he's, he's down deep in his heart Knows he can't keep all 613 of those laws. Who can? And he's tried and he's worked and he's given everything that he has to try to keep those 613 laws. His whole life was dedicated and, and he failed day after day. He couldn't do what he was supposed to do. And he couldn't keep from doing what he shouldn't do. And he goes to Jesus and I think he genuinely wants to know this answer. Nobody could tell him, give me only one to do. Give me one. I think I can do one. I can't do 613. One might be doable. Give me one thing to do. I think they even talked about this in their little meetings. They'd sit there and say, if only we could summarize all 613 into just one. I bet you we could do one. If you could take all the rules of your house and just, just summarize all of, all of them into, into one, it would be easier to do. Can you imagine taking 613 laws and put them in your house and telling your kids you have to follow all those? And then when they get up in the morning, you say, you're broke 547. They'd say, Dad, give us one. We can do one. So let me ask you this. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever thought when you read your Bible, this is too much for me to do. I can't, I can't keep it all. Have you ever thought when you listen to one of my sermons, that's just too many points, Josh. That's just sermons too long. You're giving us this and you're giving us this and I'm, I'm trying to take notes and, and you're teaching us in Matthew. You're teaching us in Ecclesiastes. You're teaching us in Psalms. You're telling us don't do this and, and to do this. That's just a, a lot. And then you've got a mom and a dad that they're, they're going to give you things and, and you've got other people in your family they are saying do this and do that and you've got all these things getting thrown at you and you say, wow, that's a lot for me to do. Have you ever felt like that? This is too much weight for me to carry. 
I can't possibly do all that. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by it all? Has it ever become a burden that I, I just can't do it all? Church can be like that. It's just too much. Martin Luther felt that. I just, I just can't do it all. They wanted me to climb steps on my hands and my knees. They wanted me to stop eating. They wanted me, all these things they're trying to, to get me to do, I can't do it all. Have you ever wondered, why can't we just simplify it? Why can't we just get it down to one command? So I think this is an excellent question. Let's simplify Christianity. Let's bring it down to one thing. What's the, the first and what's the greatest? Give us only one thing to do. So if that's the excellent question, I want to give you now the easy answer. Just follow along with me. That's the excellent question. And now Jesus, without hesitation, brilliant. Nothing throws him off. And they're throwing him these things and he's not, he's not even flinching. He's not even thinking. I went back and watched the question and answer me and Brandon had on Sunday night. And he'd ask me a question and you could see me fidgeting. You know, I watched away. At one point I had my Bible over here and then I had my Bible over here and then I had my Bible here and then I had my Bible here. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this is a tough question. I don't know if I can answer this. And I'm sitting there doing this. I don't know if you guys paid attention to that. But I, I have a little nervous tics sometimes that I do. And I was, I was just nervous as all get out. Apparently y'all didn't notice that. I shouldn't have told you. But Jesus, there's no nervousness. There's no fidgeting. He's ready with the answer. He's ready with the Scriptures. He's on the spot. And He quotes to them Deuteronomy 6, which is the most important command in the entire Old Testament. So He brings the Old Testament quote into the New Testament command, and he brings those two together, showing us the consistency that God has wanted one thing from the Old Testament into the New Testament. There's consistency among, um, among both Testaments. And here it is. The priority, Jesus said, the most important thing, the greatest command, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Stop there. That's the command. That is the, the demand on Christians to love God, the one God, the one true and living God, Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not enough for Christians to acknowledge the existence of God. He doesn't say that, that thou shalt acknowledge the existence of God. Many people acknowledge the existence of God. They believe in God. The, the demons believe in God and tremble, but we must love the Lord our God. Our command, our demand on us is to, to love Him. It's not enough to have an interest in Him. It's not enough to think about Him. We must love God. That's the demand. Not a suggestion. Not an option. Not a you need to or you should to. But you shall love God. That's the command. We are people who love God. That sounds easy, right? <laughs> But he's not talking here about a superficial, sentimental, sappy, low human view of love. When he says love here, and, and there's four different words for love in the, in the Greek, this is the highest. This is the word agape. This is a divine love. This is a love like God loves us. 
That God doesn't love us in a, in, a, in, a, in a high way and then expect us to love Him in a low way. He commands us to love Him with the highest form of love. Not like a love song you hear on the radio. Not, not, not that sappy stuff. Not, not, not that superficial, low-level human love that's here today and gone tomorrow. He says, no, you're to love God at the highest of levels. And then He describes what that is. And I want you to follow this with me. I love this. Here's how we are to love God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with. And he gives three. And I think he's, he's talking head to toe. I think he's talking an all-consuming love. I think he's talking every part of me. He says first to love with all your heart. And the heart... Is all of me. The heart is not the emotional center of me. The heart is me. Understand this, the Bible talks about the heart in numerous places, and it always speaks of the heart as the, 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 the body, the, the, the flesh, is the outer me, where I can pretend and I can put on a facade and I can show you guys a, a different version of me and I can fix my hair and I can you know, change my look. And, and this is the outside of me. But the heart, when the Bible speaks of heart, it's talking about the inside of me, the part of me that you can't see, that you don't know, that's me me down deep in my heart it's the inner me it's the the real me it's who i am on the inside all of me is to love god god saying here no half-hearted love is allowed it's all of me or none of me so that's the heart and then he says the soul Soul is the seat of emotions. When the Bible speaks of soul, it speaks of our, I call it my feeler. Where we feel. Our affections. Our emotions. Our passions. The, the fire that's inside me. That burns hot. What do you feel for? The part of me that sees a commercial and they're trying to get me to send money for poor, pitiful, hungry kids overseas somewhere. The part of me that says, Steph, we need to send money. I feel for that child. The part of me that, that, that when people call me and say somebody's having surgery or somebody might have cancer, that, 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 that you feel deep down in your gut. That, that, that's your soul. That's your, where you burn. The things that you're passionate about. The, the, the part of you that stands up and screams when union wins. The part of you that, that gets hot when you get mad. That part of you, the feeler. You should love God with all your feelings. With all your emotions. And then he goes for a third one. With all your mind. I think we all know what that is. That's the intellectual side of me. If the, if the heart is me. And the soul is, is, is my emotions. And, and the, the mind is, is the part of me that thinks. 
If, if, the, if the soul is my feeler, then the, the mind is my thinker. It's the part of me that, that, that puts two and two together. The part of me that, that figured out the, the amount of laws. 365 plus, I've already forgot what the other one was, equals 613. You guys can figure that out by using your thinker. You don't, you don't use your feeler to figure that out. You use your thinker to figure out science. You use your thinker to figure out math. You use your thinker to figure out there's a, a male and a female and there's no other genders. That's your thinker. Everybody else is using their, their feelers today. We use our thinkers. We think. In our mind, that's where we know. That's where we make decisions. That's where we say, I've made up my mind. I've thought about it and I've made a decision. It's in my mind. I tell my kids that. They'll say, Dad, can I have McDonald's? Let me think on it. We drive right on by it as fast as I can. They say, Dad, what are you doing? I've made up my mind. We're not going. That's my thinker. I thought about it. Cost too much money. Not going to do it. We thought about it. So in our mind, that's where, that's where we choose to love God. I thought about God. I know who He is. And I choose to love God. We must love God with our minds. That's the reason, one of the reasons I, I preached on who God was last Sunday, so you could think about the sovereign God, about the caring God, about the powerful God that we serve. And you can love that God. The more you know about God, the more you'll love God. We love Him with our minds. We live in a culture today that only loves God with their feelers and not their thinkers. We gotta have both. You come into some churches and it's all thinking. There's no emotions. Cold, dead, dry religion. Nothing but mind. They're missing something. They're missing a little heat and a little passion and a little fire. you got to love God with your mind and your emotions. And you go into some churches. You ever seen those? You go into some churches and it's all emotion. It's all tears. It's all running around. It's all excitement. But they don't know a thing about God. They don't think. They don't stop and open up their Bibles and go deep into the Scriptures and know who it is they love. I think both are wrong. No emotion. No feeling. No thinking. We must have a church and we must be Christians that love God with both. Amen. You want a preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, that preaches with logic on fire. Theology and emotion. You need both. He says here, and I'll give you another one, because the Deuteronomy passage adds one more. It's not just with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. Deuteronomy says with all our strength. you got your feeler, your thinker, and your doer. That's what the strength is. It's more than words. It's action. It's duty. It's... it's, it's uh, Mary putting ointment on Jesus' feet. It's a self-sacrifice. So what He's doing there is going from the top of our head to the bottom of our toes and telling us, just in these words, there's no part of me that's not included in this love of God. It's all of me. It's intellectual. It's emotional. It's volitional. It's physical. It's all my capacities. It's all my capabilities. It's an all-consuming love. That we ought to love God with everything in us in every possible way. That's the demand. Let me say that again. Somebody needs to write that down with your thinker. 
We ought to love God with everything in us in every possible way. That we leave nothing out. That God, our love for God dominates our emotions, it directs our thoughts, and it devotes our actions. We love God with all and all-consuming love. Now understand this. He goes on in verse 38 and says, This is the first and this is the greatest commandment. This is it. Get this one. If you don't get anything else in life, get this. Because if you miss this one, this is the most important thing. And without this, verse 37, nothing else matters. You can't worship if you don't get this. What is the point of us gathering to sing and to lift our hands if down deep in our heart? And that's, that's the reason our songs are, are not just emotional words, not just a, a repetitiveness of, of words, but that when we sing songs, we're singing songs that we can think about God as we sing them. So there's, they're in our mind, they're, they're in our heart, and it, and it moves us to do something with our actions so that all of me is, is showing my love to, to God and who He is. If you don't have that, you don't love God. It's a waste of time for you to worship. I'll go on. You can't serve God if you don't love God. You can't do all these religious activities. It means nothing. If this is missing, everything we do is worthless. And I think Jesus is using this to condemn those religious leaders who'd come to Him because they sacrifice, they go to the temple, they do religious activity, they tithe, they fast, they pray, they do everything, but deep down inside them, they didn't truly love God. Muslims will fast and they'll pray and they'll go through Ramadan and it's a waste of time because they don't love God because they don't even know who God is. Other religions will do the same. You say, oh, they're so, they're, they serve. They, they, they do all these things. But they don't love God. And it's a waste of time. They're not getting the number one thing right. And if there's one thing that we need to get right in this church, in our lives, it's this, to love God with an all-consuming love. This sets us apart. This is all over the Bible. Let me give you a couple. Just to... Take up the time. 1 Corinthians 2. You, you, you don't have to turn there. But I'm, I'm going to read you a passage, two or three passages here. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 9 says this. This is what we're described as. And, and I found scripture after scripture after scripture that was saying this same thing. That this is who we are. This is who we're to be. 1 Corinthians 2. 9 says this. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them. Talking about heaven, for them that love Him. There's more in 1 Corinthians, but I want to go to the end. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. It says, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Let him be cursed. You don't love God, you don't belong to God. Romans 8.28, I don't, I don't have to turn to it. All things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. We are described, we are to be lovers of God. Number one, first, foremost, the greatest command is to love God. And let, let me add this before I move on to the end. We can't do this naturally. 
We are naturally God-haters. We are by nature. You say, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't hate God. The Bible says we're God-haters before we're God-lovers. And in that hatred of God, you could be lukewarm, you could be indifferent, you could be take it or leave it, but there's only, there's only two things. You're either a hater of God or a lover of God, and we can't work up this type of love. I mean, there's no way in my natural, in, in, in flesh, there's no way that I, I can love God like this. It would take an act of God for me to love God like He wants me to love Him. You know who I love the most? Me! And it's going to take an act of God for me to turn my love of, of me into a love of God in an all-consuming way. And Romans 5 says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. That it's God who pours His love out on us and gives us this grand love for Him. That takes us from God-haters to God-lovers. This is what happened to Paul. He hated God. He chased down Christians. He tried to kill them. And then all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 9, there's a great line. The love of God is shed abroad in his heart. And now he's not a God-hater. He's a God-lover. Now, sitting in this church today, and I don't know if, if this is you or not, but every one of us was God-haters at that one point. And something in our life happened. I call it the new birth, conversion, where something changed. And now sitting in this church ought to be God-lovers. It's what happened to Paul. It's what happens to us. And after that, everything we do ought to be an outpouring of that love. Everything we do is an outpouring of this love that's been shed abroad in our hearts. Let me just list it and I'll go on. When you pray, it's not a duty, it's an act of love. I don't pray because I have to. I don't pray because I'm forced to. I'm not, I don't pray because I'm told to. I don't pray because my arm is forced to. I pray because I love God. Anybody you love, you'll want to speak to. Can you imagine me waking up in the morning and there sits Steph and I think in my mind, I have to talk to her today. <laughs> Wouldn't say it out loud, right? No, we pray. You know, I, I talk to Steph because I want to. The baby will fall asleep sometimes. You know, we got five kids running around our house trying to feed them. I mean, goodness gracious. I told you about McDonald's. And you'll send the boys off to bed or off to, to Fortnite and Gracie off to Instagram and Emma off to her dolls and little Hallie will fall asleep and I look across the couch at Steph and I say, how are you doing today? just want to talk to her. How's your mom? And she'll look at me and she'll say, how was your day? And nobody's sitting there saying, Josh, talk to your wife. <laughs> I love her. I want to talk to her. And that ought to be our love for God, that we pray, not when I get up in the morning. And so I think sometimes we do that. I have to get up and pray. I have to pray. I have an outpouring of my love where I love Him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. I want to talk to God today. And not only that, and I, and I want to hurry through this, not only is it, is it in my prayer, I pray because I want to, I read my Bible because I want... That's how I pray and that's how I talk to Him. But when I open my Bible, that's how He talks to me. 
And I want to hear from Him. And I want to, I want to know Him. And I, I want to know more about Him. And I, I want to go to Isaiah 40 and, and hear about how He's a, the maestro of the stars. And, and how He's the conductor of it all. And this star is here. And that star is there. And my God is so big that, that He puts them all in the sky. But not only that, but how, how my God comes down and, and He's the, the maestro of even my little bitty life. And how He's putting all these things in place because He's a, he's a, a genius God who knows how to work it all out. I love knowing about my God. So I read the Bible and I, I preach to you about that God. I want to know God because I love God. There's more to know. We'll be in heaven for eternity and there'll be more to know about God. I'll talk to God and we'll learn about God in heaven. We love God. There's never a point in my marriage where I look at Steph and I say, heard enough. I know everything there is to know about you. <laughs> no I've not heard all of her stories she told me something the other day and I said I didn't know that about you I love that about you and there should be more and more to learn about God let me give you another one my service is just an outpouring of my love to God When you serve in a church, it's not because you have to. Josh wants me to do this. Josh is telling me to do that. I love God so much that I want to do that. I want to serve Him. You know what I did the other night? I was thinking about this. About how my love, and I ought to love my wife as Christ has loved the church. Friday night, family night, we were sitting around the house, Union was getting ready to play, and TV was on. I'm sorry for any Central fans that are here. <laughs> and I said, you know what? i got 30 minutes. I'm going to go wash the dishes for Steph. She said, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> I just, I just want to serve you. I want to show you by an outward action that I love you. That my love is more than just words that I say when we hang up a phone. But it's by the things that I do on a regular basis. And now she wants me to wash dishes more. <laughs> but out of love, I ought to want to do that. And out of love, we ought to want to serve God in whatever capacity that we can. Give me more opportunity to serve. You want, you want one more? Our coming to church to worship God should never have to be twisted, should never have to be forced, should never have to be told to. The more you love God, the more you'll want to show up and worship God. That's why I have never, ever tried to force anybody to come to church. It's my belief, and I, I think it's biblical. That if you love God, you'll show up. Yes. That's just. So you know what my job is? My job isn't to, to pound you. My job isn't to, to uh, hammer you with, go to church, go to church, pray, read your Bible, sir. You know, sit there and just, just hammer you all the time. My job is to show you who God is so that you'll love Him more and you'll automatically want to do these things. 
Just preach who God is. And you'll love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It'll be an all-consuming love for God. And then, if that's the easy answer, you say, Josh, that wasn't so easy. You took about 20 minutes to tell us the answer. I want to give you the extra command. He had the excellent question, which I think was an excellent question. I needed to hear this. I'm glad he asked that, ain't you? I'm glad he asked it. Then he gives us an easy answer. I'm glad he gave it to us. That this is what we're required to do. And then he doesn't have to do this, but he gives us the extra command. The excellent question, the easy answer, and then he gives us an extra command. And he says, and the second is just just like it. I'll I'll put it this way. He had to give the second one. If love God is one wing on an airplane, then loving your neighbor is wing number two. And you have to have two wings to fly. I'm not a scientist. But I've, I've put enough paper airplanes together that you can't fly that thing without two wings. And you can't be a true Christian without the second wing. So he had to give the second one. So he goes into the extra command. And this time he doesn't quote Deuteronomy 6. He quotes Leviticus 19. Again, they didn't ask for it. They asked for the greatest. He said, I'll give you two. I'll give you two for the price of one. That's a deal. I'll give you a second one. This is necessary. It's inseparable. You have to have this. If you love God, you'll automatically love your neighbor. You can't love God and hate your neighbor. Watch what he says. The second's just like it. Thou shalt love. Same word love. Different object. Not God, but neighbor. Same word love. Different object, neighbor. So he changes it and he goes from you're going to love God, which is the object, the one true and living God, the Lord your God, the, the, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our love is aimed at, at God. And now he says, and the second one is love, but to someone else. This one is your neighbor. And, and, and the obvious question here is, who is my neighbor? The Good Samaritan story will answer that, but let me just give you this. The, the Bible doesn't teach a universal brotherhood in that we're all children of the same God. That's not true. You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. So the Bible doesn't teach a universal brotherhood. But the Bible does teach a universal neighborhood. That it's not just who's on the right of you. And it's not just who's on the left of of you. It's not just who's across the road from you. It's not just who's down the road from you. It's not just those in your neighborhood that is your neighbor. So you're sitting there saying, all right, I can love this one. I can love that one. I can love this one. But when I pull out of my driveway, don't have to love anybody else. (laughs) I got this. I'll mow your yard. I'll buy you groceries. I got the second command. It is them. And some neighbors are hard to love. I might be one of them. I got five kids and a dog. <laughs> but it's not just neighbor beside your house. That's your neighbors here in church. It's your neighbors at work. It's your neighbors at school. It's 
your enemies. It's those who hate you and abuse you, talk evil about you, and say all kinds of evil things in a, in a wrong way. It's those who... <laughs> don't go there, Josh. Our neighbor is the one over here that has a Biden sign and the one over here that has a Trump sign. That's our neighbor. Our neighbor is the one who thinks you need to wear five masks and the one who thinks you don't have to wear any masks. Our neighbor is the one who cheers for Central (laughs) and the one who cheers for Union. We have a universal neighborhood that as you look around this room today and you see people sitting in the pews next to you, that is your neighbor. And as you go out into the drive and you pass people in the in the parking lot or as you go through Big Stone Gap or as you go to Kirkland's and you sit in the restaurant or as, as you go to wherever you go and you look across from you and you see somebody, that's your neighbor and it's your duty, he says, to love your neighbor. Now watch this. It's not just that you love your neighbor because we don't love our neighbor the same way we love God. Do you, understand? Do you see that? I want you to look at your Bibles, if you can see. <laughs> I said in Sunday school, I'm bringing a, a candle. And I should have. <laughs> George Whitfield used to preach, and he'd light a candle. And he'd look at, his, at the crowd and he'd say, I'm going to preach until the candle goes out. And he would. No, you guys are thinking like little... No, this is, back then it's big, long candles. Just go with it. Right now, I wish I had a George Whitfield candle sitting right here. I can see. I mean, we'll go with it. But watch what it says here. We're to love God in a different way than we're to love neighbor. Do you see that? Are you with me on that? Love God differently than you love your neighbor. We don't love our neighbor or anyone, for that matter, the same way we love God. We love God in a higher way than we love anything or anybody in the whole world. If we love anything else like we love God or more than God, that thing has become an idol to you. If you love a sport more than you love God, that sport is an idol. If you love your neighbor more than you love God, that neighbor is an idol. If you love your wife more than you love God, that wife is an idol. Jesus told him, he said, you ought to hate your mother and father. Which isn't you, you hate them. It's just you love God so much that it's almost like it's hate. How, how high I love God and how low I love others. And this is the greatest evidence. Understand. The greatest evidence of our love for God is that we love others. I've already said it, but you can't love God and hate man. And those religious leaders did. 1 John 4, I want to read this to you. I can see, I don't know if you guys can or not. 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. That's pretty clear. If you don't love others, you don't belong to God. So how do we love our neighbor? I like this. As ourself. We love God with all our heart, all of our 
soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. That means we have an all-consuming love for God that goes above and beyond everybody and everything else in the world. We love God more than anything. But in, in, in loving our neighbor, we just love our neighbors in a, in a low way like we love ourselves. I'm going to quote Terrell Owens here. T.O. He said one time, I love me some me. Sounds about like him. And I think every single one of us could say that I love me some me. And he says here that we're to love our neighbors, which is people sitting in this room with us, our next door neighbor, left and right, people across from us out there working in school. We're to love them as much as I love me. Love our neighbors as much as I love myself. And I, I love myself a lot. I think we all do. We think too highly of ourselves. We think too much about ourselves. I think we... I protect myself, don't I? I want to make sure I don't get hurt. I wear a mask when I go in Food City. I don't want to catch anything. We protect ourselves. I feed myself. I I dress myself. I encourage myself. Do you encourage yourself? I do sometimes. I'll get up here and preach and I'm sitting in my mind thinking, keep going, Josh. It's going good whether they like it or not. The lights have went out. The internet's not working now. People at home are sitting there thinking, where'd he go? Have they raptured? Oh no, I missed it. (laughs) We encourage ourselves. We give attention to ourselves. We want what's best for ourselves. We talk good about ourselves. That's how we treat ourselves. That's how we love ourselves. Then we ought to love our neighbors just like that. Let me me give you just a couple. I, I know I'm going long here. Lots are out. Everybody's wondering where it's at. What's going on? This is the most... Second most important command. I ought to protect others like I protect myself. I ought to encourage others like I encourage myself. I ought to try to dress others like I dress myself. That's why we have things like a clothes closet downstairs where people come and I want to dress myself and I want to make sure I'm clothed, but I want to make sure the rest of the community is clothed too because they're our neighbors. That's why we have meals of love because I feed myself and because I feed myself and I love myself enough to do that, I want to make sure everybody in the community has enough food to feed themselves. I talk good about myself and I talk good about others. The second most important commandment is not who we look in the mirror and see, but who we look out the window and see. We must speak to our neighbors, not about. Be kind to our neighbors. Serve our neighbors. Share with our neighbors. We can't truly love our neighbors. I'll move on with this. We can't truly love our neighbors. If we don't share Christ with our neighbors. I want myself to go to heaven when I die. I want my sins forgiven. So there's no way that we can possibly say we love our neighbors. If we aren't showing them the way to heaven. So he says. On these two commandments. And I'll close. Hang all the law and the prophets. On these two. If you'll do these two. You will fulfill all 613 of those laws you have on paper. If you'll do these two, 
You will fulfill all ten of the Ten Commandments. The first four was aimed at loving God. If I love God, I'll fulfill the first four. I won't have any other gods. I won't take His name in vain. I'll be keep the Sabbath holy. I mean, I'll keep all four of the first commandments. And if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal from my neighbor. I want to honor my mother and father because they're my neighbors. I'm not going to murder. I'm not going to, you know, I'll commit adultery. I'll just keep going. So if you'll do these two, it'll fulfill all the other ones. Just love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. That's it. That's all, again, the Beatles. All you need is love. All you need is, I've never done this before. I'm not on camera. All you need is love. Love is all you need. And that's what he says. So let me ask you this, believers, and, and I'm, I'm closing. How are you doing? If this was your spiritual checkup, how's your love for God and your love for your neighbors? Have you lost your first love? Are you lukewarm towards God? I think we should all pray what John Newton prayed. And I, I, you can write this down if you can see. John Newton said, let me love thee more and more and more. That's an easy thing to write down. It's an easy thing for every one of us to pray here in the dark today. Somebody one day is going to tell a story about the day Josh preached in the dark. <laughs> but the prayer is, and I don't want you guys to get distracted from this. Let me love God more and more and more. Yes. And then let's all go out and love our neighbors. Man, if you're here today and you're lost, and you, you say, I can't, I can't say I truly love God then all I can do is show you the love of Christ. And I'll read you a couple verses here and I'll close. It's amazing how well I can see in the dark. Romans 5. It says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man would some dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, God. That is the greatest love that anybody has ever seen. And the only way that I could ever try to, and I, I do it, I, I, I beg people to get saved, I beg people to get right with God, but I understand now that the only way that will ever happen is by showing them the great, 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 great love of God and letting that love be shed abroad in their hearts. That I show you that, that God loves you with an everlasting love. He loved you while you were in sin and hated God. He set your, His heart on you. He set His mind on you. He sent His Son to die for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the love of God that you need to see. That's the love of God that you need to understand. That's the love of God that when you see that, you cannot see the, the love of God. How He's poured His love out on you and on me without your heart beginning to be convicted and your heart beginning to melt and your heart beginning to say, Oh, what love He's shown me! That's how people are saved. Show them the love of God. And it melts their heart. It changes their heart. And it makes you want to pray, help me to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. So I call you today, if you've never given your life to Christ, that today you'd do that. That you'd see the great love He's poured out on you and that it, it would melt your heart and today you'd believe in Him.
can be saved. That is the most important thing in the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the opportunity to preach about love today, the most important thing. And if this is a spiritual checkup for me and for our church, may we look at our lives and say, I need to love more. And may our simple prayer be, God, help us to love you more and more and more. And help us to show that, not just with words, but with actions. Help us to live it on a daily basis that we love you. And God, for anyone here who's an unbeliever, may today be the day that they see the great, great, great love that you have for them and put their faith in you and be saved. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.